2008, Kathleen Norris came to Portland to promote her new book, Acedia, A Marriage, Monks, and a Writer's Life. I have been a great admirer of her previous books, particularly Cloister Walk, a memoir about her experiences interacting with a community of Benedictine monks while she was navigating the ups and downs of small-town life in rural South Dakota. Cloister Walk was the first book I read after finishing up my postgraduate work in 1998 and also moving to and navigating life in a small town in the middle of Colorado. Kathleen Norris opened up the world of Benedictine spirituality that led me on a book journey where I discovered other writers like Joan Chittister and Esther DeWall and Columbus Stewart, just to name a few. Rich earthy spiritual life. Along with these Benedictine writers was Eugene Peterson, writers who offered this simple bread and butter that my soul hungered for, a prayer life shaped and informed by the Psalms, seeing my present context as the soil which God was using to grow my life, and understanding that simple, faithful daily obedience was to be preferred over making a name for myself through grand or glorious works. You might understand then my excitement of hearing Ms. Norris in person and getting into her new book, which is all a, a bit ironic. For Acedia is not an upbeat topic. The state and outlook of Acedia says, who cares? Why bother? Nothing matters anyway. Acedia is more than a state of sadness or, or apathy. It is a spiritual despair, where one even resents the call and conditions of faith. The monastic resents the life of the cloister, worship, prayer, their fellow brothers or sisters. The pastor despises the practice of preaching and even feels it to be a worthless exercise. Faithful works of service disintegrate into meaningless tasks that don't even make a dent in improving the human condition. Acedia is an ugly state of being. Who would ever want to read such a sad, sad book, let alone reread it? And while you can't see me, I am raising my hand. Strangely, I have found this book to be a helpful companion. My first read of the book was an exercise in preparation. In other words, here are the potential perils and pitfalls, as in my case, of ministry life. In 2008, when I got a hold of Norris's book, I had just finished my first year as the pastor of a church. The excitement and shine had begun to wear off of me and of the church. Yet I had to daily ask the question, what does it mean to be faithful and to be present to this community of people as its pastor? particularly when you are called to live and teach out of hope, joy, and love, while at times feeling none of the above. In that first read of this book called Acedia, it seemed like I was reading a, a series of warning signs. Caution. Danger ahead. 
Ministry can be like navigating stormy seas, and here are the signs that you may be in danger of being pulled under the waves of Cydia. Wounding words, pettiness, personal agendas, old hurts and resentments. These are just some of the hazards that can adversely affect the soul. The disintegrating work of Asidia is that it moves us from a place of being irritated or, or upset about a matter to a state of not even caring about what others, or even myself for that matter, think and feel. Norris writes, Asidia's genius is to seize us precisely where our hope lies, to tear away at the heart of who we are and mock that which sustains us. It is this idea, this particular spiritual condition that Kathleen Norris impacts and reflects upon, using the centuries-old wisdom writings of monastics, along with her own experiences of wrestling with Asidia in her marriage and career as a spiritual writer. In my first read of the book, I relished in the writings of the early desert monastics that Norris presents. My academic backgrounds in church history and so the stories and sayings of these captivating figures held my attention. However, in my recent rereading of the book, I found myself resonating with Norris's personal story, navigating a life married to a frequently ill and chronically depressed spouse. The toll from the collective traumas of her life brought her to this place of consideration and reflection concerning the nature and effect of Asidia upon the human soul. If my first reading of Asidia was an exercise of preparation, even guidance for pastoral ministry, my second reading was an exercise of reflection and my own consideration of trauma. The difference between my first read And my second read is this. Over the last 13 years, I have banked a significant number of experiences of trauma and grief. I've been a part of 50 memorial services and gravesides. I've prayed over people in hospitals, convalescent homes, and hospices. I've walked with people over the long years of battling cancer along with being present at the shock of others who have suddenly lost family members quickly to disease, with no preparation or understanding that they're even sick. And, and I know what it's like to wait for a call back from an overdue child, only to have a police chaplain call you instead with the news that an accident has happened and that they're not coming home. In these past years, I have moved from being an observer and companion of trauma and tragedy to being a participant. Now, there are pages upon pages that I could write about this profound tragedy of loss and grief, an experience that is still ongoing. But I am merely attempting to grab a hold of this one small thread of the experience and how it relates to my rereading of Kathleen Norris's book, how a book reconsidered can offer us new eyes and new language to an altered life circumstance. I am slowly coming to a greater understanding of grief and the effects of trauma on the human soul. 
Asidia offers a, a way out of the pain and incongruity of suffering. It simply and sweetly suggests, give up. Prayer, reflection upon the Holy Scriptures, a, a community of faith, all of these can feel ridiculous, even absurd, when Asidia shapes our heart and mind. Responding to the lure of Asidia, I can be tempted to say, why should I listen to God if he has stopped listening to me? This is then the insidious temptation of Asidia, to cut ourselves off from life and hope. Where Jesus invites us to abide in him, as he says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Asidia says, thanks but no thanks. It's simpler to be a stick. What is curious, according to Norris, is that our way to combat Asidia's slow poison is to pick up the very antidote that Asidia suggests as being ineffectual. Norris writes again, If we recognize the bad thought of Asidia for what it is, we can indeed cast it out using the very means it is employed to torment us. Prayer and psalmody. The reading and reflection of the Psalms. I love the Psalms. They are the primary shaping voice of my life of prayer. As a student at Regent College, I remember a time when Eugene Peterson brought his great pedagogical weight down upon us when he said, I want nothing less than for you to pray the Psalms every day of your life. I love the Psalms, mostly. Yet in the days, weeks, and months after my daughter's death, the Psalms seemed strangely thin, even fragile, like delicate, beleaguered china, to be used but with great care and attention lest they break apart in your hand. I thought to myself then, would these prayers hold up under the weight of grief and sorrow and loss. This paradox of faith, hope and despair, belief and doubt, love and, and fear, they form a tension in us. Like a bowstring held between two ends of the bow, there is tension and flexibility. And that tension exists in the Psalms. When we pray the Psalms, we give voice to that paradox when we consider Jesus, we see the paradox embodied. Perhaps I've been coming to a, a better understanding of Mary and Martha after their brother's death. They both welcomed Jesus and they chide Jesus. Lord, if, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus, for his part, has the audacity to tell these two sisters, fresh in their grief, that he is the resurrection and life. Jesus, present in the powerlessness of grief, present in the brokenness of his own weeping, yet powerfully present as the author of life. The paradox of faith. My own grief presented me with a deep and dark hole, despair, hopelessness, acedia. 
The invitation to descend into that darkness seemed both compelling and frightening. To cast away this paradoxical faith before the tension caused it to snap in two. Prayer and psalmody, both torments and comforts. The presence of God reminding me of the seeming absence of God on that horrible day. Yet strangely, these psalms give shaping, ordering words to help us in the waiting and questioning. David prays in Psalm 27, I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. To which Asidia sometimes whispers, Nonsense. What a waste of time. Thanks to Kathleen Norris, I am coming into a better understanding of the subtlety of Asidia that wants to draw me away from the expectant life and into the despairing life. As the aforementioned Psalm 27 affirms, there is a posture of waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon God to show up, waiting for answers, waiting for resolution to correct difficult circumstances. It is in the environment of waiting that both acedia praise and faith is grown. This is the witness of the Psalms. Norris writes, Waiting seems at odds with progress, and we seldom ask whether it might have a purpose in and of itself. Waiting, then, is not passive, but a vigilant and watchful activity designed to keep us aware of what is really going on. Such waiting is meant to engender a lively hope. Hope may seem a flimsy thing in the face of a Asidia's cold assurance that nothing matters and that waiting is unmitigated hell. But hope has an astonishing resilience and strength. Its very persistence in our heart indicates that it is not a tonic for wishful thinkers, but the ground on which realists stand. Waiting. Watching. Silence. An activity designed to keep us aware of what is really going on. The Psalms form our liturgy for waiting, a liturgy for the in-between time. They help us pay attention to what is really going on. The Book of Lamentations also offers a shaft of light in the disorienting darkness of trauma. The author, Jeremiah, gives a grim description of his experience in observing death and the disintegration of Jerusalem. Yet, in the middle of his lament, light breaks into the prophet's darkness. Jeremiah writes, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In the last couple of years, I have found myself clinging to these words. In the waking anxiety of the early morning, when all I want to say is crap, 
another long day is before me. This other voice reminds me that God's steadfast love and mercy arise with the sun. The verses following Jeremiah's more memorable words echo the testimony of the Psalms. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence. To sit in silence can lead one to feel powerless. My thoughts, words, or opinions no longer settle a situation or order the chaos. Silence and stillness counteracts my need to control people in situations and outcomes. However, silence and stillness can also cultivate presence, being present to the one who is present to me now. Though I confess, even these words cause me to argue with myself, saying things like, but what about her? Yet there's this situation, or, or how's that even going to work out? And the most frequent of all, what are we going to do about that? Stillness. Silence. Presence. For Kathleen Norris, the long suffering of her husband came to an end. Yet hers continued. Reflecting upon his death, and her status as a widow, a strangely evocative word. She writes this truth about grief. How terrible the absence of our beloved dead, and how beautiful their continued presence in memory. I understand that reflection of Ms. Norse far better now than when I first read this book. Her reflections are both a gift and guide reminding me that there is the paradox of faith and then there is the paradox of grief. As a good and proper guide, she leaves the re-reader with an encouragement to continue on. I did feel fragile and disconnected after David died, but I found a prayer for myself, also among those intended for the sick, that proved suitable for my mourning and my continued struggle with acedia. This is another day, O Lord. I know not what it will bring forth, but make me ready, Lord, for whatever it may be. If I am to stand up, help me to stand bravely. If I am to sit still, help me to sit quietly. If I am to lie low, help me to do it patiently. And if I am to do nothing, let me do it gallantly. Make these words more than words. And give me the spirit of Jesus. Amen. This has been Rereads, and my name is Kent Place. Join me next month as we take a journey with C.S. Lewis and his book, The Great Divorce. Until then, be well, and remember, you can never step into the same book twice.